Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. Friends, this episode begins our countdown to our 100th episode can you even, Amanda, can you even? Oh, my word, a hundred times we've put things out into the world. That's, that's unbelievable. It's kind of insane because I feel like I blinked and it was just 75. And I might just be because of like the nature of the school year. <laughs> like I've been in some sort of a fugue state, like just kind of getting through. But yeah, this is episode 96. The next five episodes, we will be doing a countdown to our 100th episode, ending with our 100th episode. And so at the end of today's episode and the end of the next five episodes, we're going to be bringing you 20 of our favorite somethings to be 100. Did I do the math right? You did. Uh, It's like we did a, a, I think it was two Januarys ago, we did a Our Favorite Things episode. And so we're taking that, putting it on steroids and doing 100 of Amanda and Marie's favorite things but conveniently organized for you by topic. Yes, different topic or different category each week for the next five weeks. And today we are going to talk about, I think, our most requested, like, because that Favorite Things episode is one of our most highly downloaded still, like it's one of our most popular episodes. So because I think we just got to like, chit chat in a way that was really off the cuff and totally different and had some things to do with being a teacher in the classroom, but had way more to do with being a teacher in the world, like just being a person. There's a right? bread recipe in that episode. Oh, yeah, there is. Yes. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, and so we, we've done a couple of favorites then because that was a fall one, wasn't it? 
I don't think so. I think that, well, maybe, I don't know, but there's a lot of bread in a lot of our episodes, which is appropriate. Which is a hundred percent appropriate because if you know anything about us, you know that like baking's fun, especially what you've baked. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Today, we are going to be talking to you actually about choice reading, lit circles. We're going to talk about like the difference and like the non-difference between that. Um, And then what are some of our favorite books for the classroom? Because that is what I started to say is one of the most common questions we get are what books do you suggest? What books do you suggest? What books do your students like? What books do you suggest? Right? So we have some recommendations. We have things that are the most popular in our classrooms. Yeah, it was a fun list to make. It's yeah. And it's really important that you remember for all of these episodes, you need to get to the show notes for these next five episodes, because we can't go over all 20 of our recommendations with you on the podcast, because you'd be here for a very long time, or you would just leave. Um, So we want you to stay, we want you to listen. uh, But for every episode, make a mental note to head to bravenewteaching.com and check out the show notes so that you can get the full list, all of the links. We will have very detailed show notes for these next few episodes. And you don't want to miss that because that's really going to be the key to helping you out in the classroom and saving your ideas for the end of the year or next year, whenever you're going to use them. Yeah. And even if you're headed towards a break or something like that, and you're like, you know, I could use some reading. These, these are great. They don't disappoint. The reason that they're exciting and fun is because they're exciting and fun. So, uh, but first we're going to talk to you about like how we go about even finding these in the first place, how we know something's going to be a hit in our classroom and the things that we keep in mind when putting together a list of selections for our students to choose from. We're going to get into all of that after the intro music, but I think it is time to cue the music. You're listening to Brave New Teaching, and we are so much more than a podcast. We give teachers the inspiration, support, and tools to challenge the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a former English teacher from Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm a teacher from Southern California. Join us at bravenewteaching.com to find out more about our courses, festivals, and get every episode's show notes. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. are back. I think the first thing that we need to talk about, and Amanda and I really (laughs) figured this out before we started recording when we confused ourselves and each other and then ourselves again, is what we mean by choice reading and what we don't mean by choice reading today. Because we're going to talk to you about three things, like three really key things that we keep in mind when we are selecting books for choice reading for a choice reading unit. But like, what do we mean by that? Amanda, do you want to start? Because I'm the one that got the most confused and you had it under control for most of the time. (laughs) I don't know about under control, but I know for me, (laughs) I hear you say choice reading a lot, but I always use lit circles. So that for me, like is two different words that mean the same thing. So in a literature circle or in choice reading, we're talking about a list of books that we have selected for the students to choose from. And so it is a finite list of choices. Yes. And and so what we're talking about today is the process that we go through as instructors to create that list and the factors that come into play as we're putting that together. This is different from independent reading. Independent reading is its own thing. So Marie and I are here in the capacity of we've created an essential question and mm-hmm. now we're going to go do a unit covering that essential question like we teach in curriculum rehab. 
But instead of doing a whole class novel, we're doing a, a, a bunch of different books that the students had some varying levels of choice in selecting. So I know Marie has done a bigger list of finite choices, but still finite choices. I usually do smaller lists, but a lot of that has to do with the availability of books, the access, you know, like what, what all is involved. So that's kind of where we're coming from today. Yes. And this is actually like this style of a unit is a staple of my like curriculum and my it's in curriculum rehab, we call these our pillars. Like this is one of the things that I do every quarter with my students is one unit is going to be a choice unit like this. So um, this is something Amanda and I have talked about at length. Um, and we have other resources for you too that go a little bit more in depth. And like, we've got some trainings. She's got some really great activities that I use. So we'll tell you all about that in a second. But we wanted to talk to you about the three things that we keep in mind when curating that finite list of choices for students. Because there is there is something to be said about curating and really creating a list of choices that are all linked thematically, that address an essential question that you know are going to take students the same way that I design a unit that uses a singular novel like Frankenstein or The Great Gatsby. Insert novel here could then be expanded to five choices, four choices, eight choices that all serve that same purpose, right? Yes. And so I think that this kind of the caveat for this list, like the understood piece that we're not listing is these all answer the essential question or these all are categorically related. So we didn't add that to the list, but assume that you're looking for books that fit under this EQ or fit under this topic. Whatever this topic is for your class. Yes, absolutely. So we've got three things that are really key to keep in mind. And the first one that we're looking at is a range in perspectives. So perspectives can be the author, the like population or populations that are represented by the author in question can be character, can be what else are we talking about with range and perspective? Uh, I, I would even say like, it, depending on your EQ, potentially genre. Sure. You, know, you know, sometimes I will do genre based lit circle units or choice units. But if you're not doing a genre unit, I think having a mixture of of those kinds of things is really helpful because some kids gravitate more toward whether it's novels in verse or it's, Mm -hmm. you know, really, really like YA, YA novels. Some, you know, I've had, you know, times where we'll throw in like a Jodi Pickle, like a more adult type of author. Um, So sometimes that's something to consider depending on your group of students is even having a graphic novel option too. So mixing your genres, your voices, um, I think that's really important. And even your historical periods, like the time frame that your, your stories cover. Yeah. yeah, setting, I guess, is a better way of looking at that. But I think that that's really helpful too. And and another way to look at this too can be, so I did, um, oh, we meant to talk about this before. <laughs> I did a monsters, you know, a villains. I'm sorry, not a monsters unit. I did a villains unit. What is a villain or what makes a villain? Um, and we talked about it much earlier this season, as we were getting back into the beginning of the school year, we did an essential question workshop for me for a senior level lit course. And one of the questions is what is a villain? And so I did a lit circle or a choice novel unit. And what I didn't do is create a finite list of choices. And there were a lot of reasons behind that. Like I just, A, didn't have time, B, didn't really have funds and C, didn't have energy. Like I just didn't have it in me. I just didn't have it in me. And so I went, you know what? I'm going to experiment. And actually Amanda was like, yes, you should just do that. Cause I run everything by her and never know. (laughs) Yeah. You never know. 
And I, for 12th graders, said, you need to find a novel that satisfies these requirements. It was like, there needs to be a prominent villain. There needs to be a clear cut definition, at least from what you can tell on a hero and a villain. And it needs to be somewhat fantastical, if you will, or like fantasy, sci-fi, something like that. Because right, I needed so it to be you're an epic. Like a war, a war story, right? Where there's like a, you know, right. And it needed to be fiction. Right. Yeah. You didn't and want so, historical fiction or something like that. Correct. I let them free. I let them free to do that. Love it. For some kids, it worked great. Yeah. But for 70% of the kids, it did not work great. And I had to hustle my buns to help them find yeah. books. Um, and it was a big pain in the ass. And it was the very beginning of the school year. It was like three weeks in. So I don't recommend that, especially, I mean, I had a class of 42. So I was like hustling all over the freaking library. Um, and my librarian's amazing. And she like helped me so much. But it was it was more work than it was worth. This term with all new kids, same course, I gave them a finite list of choices. And the range there was a lot of different, like varying cultural perspectives. I had varying gender perspectives. I had varying, um, I had two different genres really that we looked at, sci-fi and fantasy and somewhere in between. And it's not that there was something for everybody, but there was something that everybody could say, yeah, I think I can get behind that. Like mm -hmm. it's not their favorite thing ever, but at least something was there. So cautionary tale. <laughs> Start with fewer choices and then expand, but free for all is too hard. Yes. The longer you do that too, I think even though it was a pain to do your first version, that's kind of how you learn what books are worth keeping around totally. at least, at least seasonally, you know, not, not all books work forever, but kids will tell you what they like. Yeah. And what they'll they don't you, like. <laughs> they'll tell you by coming in on week three and being like, I, I, I hate it so much. I know we only have one more week, but please, can I change my book? I will read the whole thing. And then often they do, right? And then you learn like, okay, so that was not a great choice because three kids came in saying, I got three quarters of the way through and I hate it. Can I right. have something new? 100%. Um, and they, so like Amanda said, kids will tell you. Like they are, they are not a quiet audience. <laughs> Uh, no, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but that is, so, that's, that sounds overwhelming, you know, the, the, to think about range, but I think, you know, as you, if you have a big list, it's a way to narrow things down. You can say, all right, I have all of these books have female protagonists. Let's see if I can ditch a few and then mix in a few male ones. Um, all of these are from North America. Let's see if we can find some other places, you know, that this is just kind of a, you know, a checklist for you in considering, the varying perspectives as you kind of work through a list of books that maybe you already have. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you're realizing that, well, and then another thing <laughs> that's going to limit is going to be funds, right? So like if you are going, I can only get one more for this list, maybe a range of perspectives is the thing that's going to make you yes. help you make that choice. Yes. Here's another thing that can help you make that choice. Our second thing that we keep in mind is that they are highly engaging, like highly, I, dare I say addictive, Dare you? Dare I? Like the books that the kids come in and they say things like, I can't believe I read so much last night. Like yeah. they're, they're in shock of themselves. Yes. That's such right? a good feeling. Yes. I love that feeling. And I'm like, I know. Right. And they're like, I don't, you're, uh, I don't know what to do with this feeling. And I'm like, just like it, just relish in it. Or just, yeah, those are the best. It is the best. And and sometimes you're not going to know that the first time through. So give yourself a little break, kind of like we just said. Sure. Kids will tell you. If there's if there's a title you added to a list and it bombs, whatever. Kids yeah. still read. 
You still taught your lessons. You still had a unit and it's okay. So don't be paralyzed by this part. Just know that that is a goal as your list gets better and better. Well, and it's a thing too that as you start vetting them, like I would say don't buy all of the books that you're going to vet. Get them from the library. Get those free Kindle ones, right? Like that... Don't buy a whole ton of books. I mean, I do, but that's because I have a problem. Well, a lot of us have the same problem. The other the other way to do it is to do an audiobook through your library. You can zip uh-huh. through some of them pretty fast, uh, and that's really helpful. I also enlist the help of people like around me that read, love to read but aren't teachers. And my mom loves to read. My brother loves to read. So sometimes I'll throw titles at them and say, hey, can you give this a quick you know, listen or a quick read and let me know, will kids like this? And that's a really helpful way to lean on your village a little bit too. Well, and to get those other like reader perspectives, right? Like when you get somebody that's not an English teacher (laughs) that tells you I was so hooked on this book, I couldn't stop. That's going to be a little bit more authentic of a like idea of what it's going to be like for a kid than it is for us. Cause we are so biased because we like these things. Yes. Yes. Okay. Number three, number three, accessibility. Yeah. Having a, and this is a range one again, but making sure that you have a range of levels of accessibility. I don't like to say Lexile score because Lexile isn't really gauging what we want it to gauge. I mean, is it accessible for students? A, reading level, sure. But B, like, is it a story that they can connect with that is accessible to them and that they will be able to follow and keep going? And I especially want to note here that in lit circles or choice reading, whatever kind of model you're following with your grouping, you know, whether you have even groups or you have odd groups, whatever that might be, uh, several years in a row, I worked with the world's most incredible co-teacher, Jillian Glassman. Shout out to Jillian. Um, And Jillian always, always volunteered to join the group of students whose IEPs in reading were really... um, High need. Yeah. yeah, they were had high need and, and they, but they were also, sometimes I had students who were, had, had IEPs in reading, but they were still like independent readers. Like they would still do it. But for the students who had reading issues and attention follow through issues, she would join their groups and she would read with them. Um, and so sometimes I even grouped my students by the book. Um, as much as I gave them choice, sometimes I would try to create a, some kind of like, not reward, but like I would want, I had wanted my certain students to choose certain books because I knew that that was going to be their perfect fit. Um, and that oh, that's yeah. kind of what I'm thinking about when you talk about range, like it's going to be both the engagement, the, the narrator, you know, the point of view, but then the accessibility is, you know, that they can read it by themselves without getting frustrated. That's where you really want your IEP kids and anyone who's really not into reading that much. We Mm -hmm. want this experience. The reason this type of unit exists is for the reading experience to be both independent and enjoyable. So take that into consideration too. And like Marie said, don't totally rely on Lexile because if you do, you're going to end up putting Fahrenheit in there and like, no, like, well, it's like 600 something, which is crazy. I know it's well, yeah. Cause it's so nuanced that you're like, wait, right. This exactly. So don't let that fool you. This doesn't quite make sense. And it's no. an antiquated system. It's an antiquated system that it just doesn't, it just doesn't serve the purposes that we need it to serve necessarily in, you know, 21st century classrooms. Like, but one 
example, too, of where accessibility can be embedded in is something like, okay, when I did this villains unit again, no, was it villains? Heroes. I did a heroes one. Like, what was it? It was like two weeks ago, but it's spring break. So heaven forbid I remember. Uh, The Hobbit was actually one of the choices, which you're like, The Hobbit, isn't that like seventh grade? It is so dense. It's hard. I was going to say, that's hard. hard. But it is considered a middle grades book. And I had it on a senior level list because I have kids in there who are reluctant and or struggling readers. And there's a beautiful graphic novel that follows it as well. So students would read the entire graphic novel. Like they took a week and read the entire graphic novel and then went back and backtracked through the actual novel itself. And it strengthened their, not every kid did that. A lot of kids just read the novel, but like probably half a dozen were reading the graphic novel and the actual novel and going, oh, I can see. And it just helped them strengthen a lot of their like more nuanced reading skills. And so accessibility isn't just for the kids with like learning needs with IEPs, with 504s, it is, and it's for everybody all at the same time. I think accessibility also might, might potentially, like you said, with your graphic novel example, a lot of the ones, at least on my list, are also films. So mm-hmm. that could be advantageous to you because it's, it's a, again, it's kind of like a spine to, in this equation that we're talking about. It's something that everyone can definitely access and then as much of the book as they can. Uh, it could also have distracting impact, you know, so it kind of depends on, you know, think about that as well. Is the, is the film version going to be a distraction or a helpful piece of the puzzle? So think about that too, when you're, when you're selecting your titles. Also, so hot take here, as you were talking, it made me think if I was pressed to make a choice between a harder book, like it's denser, it's just a higher, maybe it's a higher Lexile, but it's just like harder to read versus a much easier book. That's like, the story is just as engaging, but there's an accessibility issue. I am always going to go for the easier book to read every time for a choice novel unit, because like Amanda said before, I want the kids to be able to read it without me. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. Because then I can push them further on the critical thinking stuff. I can push them further on other things. If it's too hard for them to do it without me, it should be an all class novel. And if I'm pressed to make a choice, I'm always going to go for the path of least resistance exactly uh, to mirror this. So this is exactly how Marie and I run our close reading and our assessments. We close read together the hardest stuff we can. And then when kids do an assessment on their own, we choose the passages that aren't easy, but are accessible independently. So when kids are on their own, they need to have a lot of those barriers taken out of the way so that they can work on things like fluency, work on things like stamina. They can't yep. do that with their, with a lot of barriers in the way, even, even kids who are great at reading. Um, we want to make sure that this is a fluid experience and something that gets them, gets everyone to the end for yeah. that awesome EQ conversation, which is one of the ultimate goals. Because it's not just reading. You're not just looking for kids to read. That's the first huge hurdle. And if you can't jump that hurdle, the rest of it's not going to happen. But like the reading, the book is the vehicle for the rest of it. So yep. if we we have to make that enticing, engaging, uh, a range of choices for them to choose from that they can connect with something or find something interesting because it's so different than what they already know and so accessible that it's almost easy. And maybe it is. And that's okay. 
Well, hello, brave new teachers. Pardon the interruption. I wanted to invite you all to a pretty cool opportunity. Some of you have already had this, and some of you have just heard us talk about it quite a bit. Amanda and I have a masterclass that is all about uh, designing and delivering formative assessments to students in ways that are really useful and purposeful and extremely equitable and inclusive in our classrooms. And so I wanted to make sure that you all have the opportunity to join us. It is our masterclass called Down With The Reading Quiz, Formative Assessments for a New Generation. And it is something that we put together, gosh, almost a year and a half ago, where we go through three different types of formative assessments that we use in our own classrooms that provide quite a bit of equitable and inclusive feedback for us and for our students about what students are actually really learning. We show you how to design and create and then implement and grade formative assessments that deal with students actually synthesizing information instead of regurgitating what they think you think they should know, but actually showing what they can synthesize. It also has different strategies for assessing analytical skills and then another strategy or two for assessing student writing skills in a formative way and all the while also assessing student understanding comprehension, whether that's reading or just understanding of a lesson. We give three different strategies for formative assessments. We absolutely love it. We have had hundreds of teachers come through this masterclass and say it is changing the way that they uh, approach assessment, formative assessment anyways, in their classrooms. And so we wanted to make sure that you knew about it. Uh, if you would like to register for free and actually watch it immediately, you can head to bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass or the show notes for this episode. Cannot wait to see you all there. Again, that is bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass. Join us for Down With The Reading Quiz and see the results in your classroom. Really change it all for the better. It is a true game changer. All right, back to the show. We would love to know. So we're going to share our titles with you. But if you are interested in continuing this conversation, would you either send us a DM on Instagram, an email, and let us know what's next. Um, if you don't already know what to do next, whether that's like, where do we get the books or yeah. how do we get the funds? Like that kind of stuff is not always a terribly interesting podcast conversation. But Marie and I might be able to address those either in our social media or Marie might make a YouTube video, but always feel free to send us kind of your, your next step questions on these episodes. We'd love to take your feedback and, you know, repurpose that feedback uh, in another one of our channels, if, if not a part two of this episode. Right. If nothing else, we've got so much advice that we can give. So like Amanda said about finding funding or like finding the books in the first place, we've got ideas. We've got things. We also actually have a few resources that I almost forgot to mention. Amanda has an amazing resource, which I said I use all the time in my classroom with different lit circle activities. Do you want to talk about that for a sec? Yeah, I'll send you guys a link. Oh, I'll put a link in the show notes, but I have a like a library of activities that I rotate through. So each week when my lit circle groups meet to talk, they're going to do something together. I don't know if this is a me thing or a student thing, but I actually am very intimidated and scared at the idea of students having a discussion on their own for the entire class period, like just talking. The The thought of running that is just, it's just kind of gives me little palpitations. I am like a doodler, hand, something in my hands. I want to be work talking. So a lot of my lit circle units begin, begin with a pretty organic discussion, you know, amongst 
students, but then it moves into an activity. So the activity kind of anchors more of that discussion, you know, so they're, they're doodling, they're writing, they're creating, they're discussing, but it's around an activity. That's just my personal preference. So I have a library of the ones that I rotate through every week. And there's probably eight or nine in there that you can mix and match. I use them all because my, because, because my weeks are shorter. So we'll do two a week. Yeah. So okay. the, I think there's eight. Yeah. <laughs> if I, I can remember correctly. That's right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll link that for you too. I think it's like three or four bucks, but um, it's a, it's digital. Um, you can print them, you can assign them online, whatever you want. But I worked really hard on that and I use every single one for years and years and years. So it's tried and true. Well, and like, I mean, like I said, I do multiple choice units per class. So like I'll have a class for two quarters. They'll see these activities two times, maybe three times because we're doing them with different texts. And they're like, oh yeah, book snaps. I love this. I'm like, you nerds. But they, they get you. It's that whole thing that we always talk about, like that we talk about in our, um, our free masterclass down with the reading quiz, do the same activity multiple times because kids will just get better at it. Do the same thing with different content multiple times. I have a choice reading unit masterclass that I put together. That's, it's more of a mini course than a masterclass. And it's all about designing a unit like this. So I go way more in depth on exactly what I do to go through and choose and like curate that list. It's got more of what we're talking about here, more in depth. And it's more of like a training style thing. So if this is something that you've either dipped your toe into or want to dip your toe into, maybe give it a try for next year or next term. Um, I will link that in the show notes. And then I also have a few YouTube videos. One that I think helps the most was from like last year when I was putting together a choice, a new choice unit. And I had to troubleshoot because like, I can't even remember what all the issues were. Maybe it's that we were virtual. I, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> who knows? I don't know. Who, who really knows, knows anymore? It's 2022. Like it's the wild west. Yeah. So I'll link that one in the show notes. That's just a quick, you hear me like go through my thought process of like actually creating a list. And then I have a masterclass and Amanda's activities are phenomenal. So And we now have the very first of our 100 recommendations. We're going to give you guys 20 of our favorite choice reading titles, the ones that are tried and true. Kids love them every time we give them. Um, Some of them have been around for a long time that we're Mm going to try to give you. a differentiation, right? In varying perspectives, we're going to give you all those ranges we talked about. We're going to give you accessibility differences um, and ranges there. We're going to give you all of those things in our list and we have 20 of them. So make sure that you go to the show notes to get the full list. We don't, we're not going to, like I said before, we're not going to give you all 20 right now because you'll probably, yeah, drive off the side of the road. It's just a little too much. Yeah. We're each going to give you our top five. Yes. And these are not necessarily all one unit. There are many different no, units. And yeah. I've like, I mean, I mix and mingle them depending. I and mean, you'll hear my list and you'll be like, oh, no, they're not all one unit. They're from different grade levels, different units. But they have, like Amanda said, they've got a range in perspectives. They are highly engaging and they've got various accessibilities that make them fly off the shelves in our classrooms. Do you want to start? Sure. I'll start with one. Um, this is kind of unexpected too. So you, you, this is kind of a, a, a weird place to start, but I'm going there. Do it. Dave Cullen's book, Columbine. Womp womp. Everyone's yeah, like, like oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> so this is one that I thought was like, 
idiotic. I thought, why would this ever be on it? So I inherited this choice list. So it was uh, something that another group of teachers had chosen before me. And I kind of had to deal with it um, because it was there. And they swore, they said, kids love it. They always pick it and they always read the whole thing. And I thought, really, it's like almost 400 pages it's the most depressing topic ever. It's nonfiction. So whatever, all of these things that I thought were going to be wrong, uh, my students loved it. Now, the students that I had that loved it were incoming 10th graders over summer reading. It was a very popular and widely read choice. Um, and that I can't remember the essential question that they were coming in under at the moment, but I can try to write that down for you guys later. Um, And then the second place it was used was in a choice unit in my AP Lang class. And so there were other titles, other non, it was like a nonfiction lit circle. I think in AP was just kind of like a general genre. Um, But every time students love Columbine. Now here's my little pitch for Columbine. Columbine reads fast. The chapters are two to three pages long. So you cruise and it's really, really interesting. Like Dave Cullen worked on this book for 10 years. And so the angle of what you're going to read in Columbine is yes, he does go through the tragedy of the shooting of that day. But so much of the argument in this book is around media culture, the Mm -hmm. 24 hour news cycle and how that's so painfully detrimental to the well-being of our society, the way that we ingest information, the way that we understand the world, um, the way that we understood that event was so wrong and is still wrong. And we still have misconceptions about school shooters and why they happen. And I mean, it's, that is what I think kids really sunk their teeth into was the way he did that. So for whatever reason, against all odds, Columbine might be worth a summer read for you to check out because yeah, it's more fascinating. I need, be, I need to be in a really good place emotionally too. Cause that was my, I'm not going to go deep down the, the rabbit hole here, but that was my freshman, sophomore, sophomore year of high school. And it yeah. is emblazoned in my memory. So I I've that. never been able to stomach reading it. Yeah. But what you've just said, I, maybe that's something that kids need. So maybe that's something I need to do. Well, and it's a critical, it's a critical lens on the American media, um, but also just kind of on the way we treat each other. I don't know. It's, it's just interesting because it's not a sob story about it. It's a lot, it's a lot about gun control. I mean, there's a lot in there about Eric and sure. Dylan and um, it does make you feel old. Cause you think, oh my gosh, like they keep referencing the nineties. I'm like, oh, I know, I know that I know the nineties. Um, but yeah, it is, it might, the, the earlier chapters might be harder for you to get through, but once you get through like, I don't know, maybe chapter 15, like, like now we're into like the geography of Colorado. We're into like, I mean, all kinds of things. I mean, there's so much research okay. and it's journal. It's, it's very journalistic. So okay. I just would say that it's not, it's not meant to, I mean, it's gut wrenching. Don't get me wrong, but it's bigger than that. Do you want to just do your other four and then sure. I'll do mine? Okay. Sure. Let's and I'll do a shorter pitch for the well, other. You're on a roll here and you've already made, like I'm writing down my summer reading list. I, I'm going <laughs> to well, need to make sure that my emotional levels are uh, nice and steady before I jump into something like Columbine. But I like, 
it would work so well for Amlet, where we're talking about it, it would media consumption for the basis of being an informed citizen, right? Like, well, and the way it's written too, like you wouldn't even necessarily need to use the whole thing. You could totally find excerpts to use too. But yes, I'm not going to pitch everything that in that depth. But I know a lot of people <laughs> haven't read Columbine or taught it, so I thought I'd just put it out well, there as they're where as I'm at. Right. Like there were I'm at going, oh, I don't know if I can do that to myself. Right. Okay. Like it's, and where I was at when I just yeah. the book physically, I was like, you're going to give that to students. Are you serious? Yeah. Which then, I mean, go, goes to show you we shouldn't yeah. judge, should we? Well, and, and <laughs> the kids will be honest. Yeah. I mean, what what kid is going to actually tell you that they loved it when the book is like that? <laughs> it's really long. But anyway, no, totally. Um, another favorite that kids come back every year loving is Perks of Being a Wallflower. Mm-hmm. Again, I feel kind of dated in sharing this because I feel like I've been including that in choice reading since the beginning of my career, which was the early 2000s. So, or 2010s. When I was like, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> the, the early 2010s. I don't know. I just didn't know how to say it. What are you correctly. talking about? <laughs> 20, when did I start teaching? No, but I started teaching in 2008. Yeah. The late 2000s? <laughs> yes. Numbers are hard. Um, also, big love, big love for Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, students love the novel adaptation for the musical. They really, really do. Again, a very different perspective in that novel. Very accessible for students to mm-hmm. digest. Perks of Being a Wallflower is really short, by the way, I should say. Dear Evan Hansen, not too long. It's it's a, it's a little on the long side, but it I reads. I want to say it's like 300 in the yeah. three range. Yeah. But in definitely in the YA style of like it cruises. Oh, you jam really. through that. And yeah. like, I want to say that the print, at least in my copy, is like size 14. Like it's yeah. <laughs> it's and, and the story is great. The kid, I mean, the kids really are. And and boys and girls and both of those stories, like there is not a like a, a gender preference. You know, sometimes you see your students preferring one book over another because of you know protagonists and things, but mm-hmm. no, this is those are all really great. Um, a newer love. Uh, this came. This is a relatively new book, A Very Large Expansive Sea. Uh, this is a wonderful story that if you haven't read it yet, definitely get on your summer list. Um, the kids love her. Uh, the protagonist, such a great one. And then, of course, I think a lot of you have taught it or read it is All American Boys. Those have always come back as top favorites. And in both the case of A Very Large Expansive Sea and all American boys. I did a lit circle unit at one point and those were both choices. So many students chose those books that I had to have multiple groups with those books. Like I had a, I always expand, do. Yeah. Yes, expansive always. C one expansive C two, all American boys, one all American boys, two, and then a couple others, but those almost always, I have to have multiple groups because of with, with both of those books. Too. So uh, yes, listeners, Amanda and I had to divvy up because we like, a lot of the same overlaps. Oh yes. We had some overlaps. So we divvied them up, but like those two, I had to go like my librarian went to one Barnes and Noble and I went to the other one one time because we had, Oh, she had, you know, library money, but like we had to go get the copies that day because so many kids wanted those ones. And I've got gigantic classes. So we just had no way of telling it was the best kind of problem. It's <laughs> amazing. Ninth graders. Yeah. It was the best, best kind of problem. It's incredible. Yep. So high fives for all of those. And I think their their descriptions on Amazon descriptions on Goodreads mm-hmm. are are plenty. So I'm not going to bore you with that. But I would say for sure, you've got a lot of variety of perspectives in those. And uh, all of them pretty accessible. Columbine is not accessible. Columbine is hard. Uh, I would say that for that's a stretch. Otherwise, that's my list. Okay. I like it. 
I like it a lot. I want to hear yours. Okay. I, I like you told me, but I've already forgot. I know, I know. Well, because you were looking at your bookshelves, and I was like, "Wait, no, I'll do that." Oh no, wait! I, I got all like yes. excited squirrels. Okay, um, so the final top five so of your my top, yeah. top five, and I will give you these are kind of in no order except for number one. Number one is like it. So my first three are ones that students have been just devouring for years. And then the last two were actually new to my class this year. And they like kids, those are the ones where kids came in and went, Mrs. Morris, I was reading until 1 a.m. And my mom was like, Are you on drugs? And I was like, No, mom, you gotta read this book. Reading. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, You're definitely on drugs. (laughs) My mom legit thought I was on drugs. This is what my boy said to me. My mom actually thought I was on drugs, and I was like, No, mom, I'm reading. And that did not make her think that I wasn't on drugs. I love these children. Okay. So number one, number one of my class ever. And like every kid that reads this loves it is Red Queen by Victoria Aveyard. Like they love this series. It like straddles the line between fantasy and sci-fi. Right. And it's dystopian and it's so good. It's talk about an addicting book. Those are the ones that kids come in and go, I can't believe I actually finished the book a week early. And I'm like, do you want the second one? They go, yeah, they're almost ashamed to say yes. Like that's that one. The other two that have been really, really big favorites in my classroom are um, Unwind, which is also the beginning of a series by Neil Schusterman. Kids go bananas for that book. It is fast paced from day, from day one, from page one. And it just goes, yes. goes, goes. And then there's another one that I've had a few seniors this year come back and say, Mrs. Morris, until this class, like the senior class that they're in now, I've only read one full book in high school. And it was sophomore year, your class, The House of the Scorpion by Nancy Farmer. Yeah, the whole thing, but House of the Scorpion, because it's about it's also dystopian, but it's about um, drug lords in South America. And they just find it fascinating. And drug lords who also are like cornering the market on genetic engineering, bioengineering. I don't know how you say that. Genetic. Yeah. It's cloning. They're working with, they're playing with cloning. They're playing God. Um, So those three are like tried and true oldies, but goodies. And then two that are new this year that the kids, like the one where the kid said his mom thought he was on drugs is the firekeeper's daughter by Angeline. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. It's a thriller. It's a mystery. And it's like, and it's also like a really great, teenage drama like young adult drama but also a thriller mystery so it just like it's a big ass book too isn't it like 450 pages (laughs) it's a chunker it's a real thick yes it's a big one and they like they see it and their eyes get all big but then they read the description they go okay i'm gonna give it a try and they annihilate it (laughs) yep and then last but not least is felix ever after by case and calendar yes have you read that one yes i'm looking at it right now but i've never given it to kids Um, we read it in my ethnic lit class and it is so, so good. It's so good. It's about, I mean, it's about this kid's experience being trans in New York city and going to art school and not quite fitting into any piece of their own world and still discovering themselves and family. And like, it's, but then it's also like a really sweet love story, right? Like it's like, (laughs) all of these really heavy, deep things, but then also just like what every kid goes through, which is having a crush and having friends and not knowing if their friends still like them after they get in a fight, right? Like it's like all the things that kids go through and it's so beautifully written because it's so, kids go through big things and small things in the same breath. 
And so that's yes. how it's written. Big yes. things and small things in the same breath. Um, and my students who read that book actually pitched it to our class for a project saying it should be adopted for. Wow. Uh, they actually said, we don't think that this will happen in the next 10 years, but maybe in 10 years, this will get adopted. Like they're very pragmatic about oh, the politics word. of textbook adoption. But yeah. So that's my five. That's an amazing five. And I'm like over here nodding like, yep, yep. House yep. of Scorpion. Uh, I, I just want to say about House of Scorpion. This one also, I think sometimes gets missed in high school because it is marketed toward a middle school mm-hmm. audience. At least, mm-hmm. at least if you're going to read about it online and Google it, it's going to tell you sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Yeah, but is definitely my response to that because yeah. my students devour it as well. And that's kind of the goal is the devouring. So it's that accessibility thing because it's got really big ideas. Like, should we be able to clone people? And, and, and I don't, I know that we have a lot of things to talk about in terms of gender, but if you have boys that don't like to read, they will read the house of the scorpion. Um, That was like my biggest group of reluctant readers. When I worked at my former school, I had groups of boys who refused to read. They were they always seem to gravitate. It's an interesting thing. It's not, we're not talking about like make the spine blue because boys will like it. We're God, just, no. this is the trend. Like this is what you, this is that data that you get have, from watching kids gravitate towards certain things. Yes, absolutely. Same, it's a, same it's a, room. it's a gateway book. Is that is, it, can we coin that term? It, but that's kind of what some of these are. I mean, so is Perks of Being a Wallflower. That's a gateway book for a lot of kids too. They're the, they're the books that kids get for the first time, and they're like, "Oh man, like this is this is what reading is." Okay, yep. But we have so many more, and they're all linked in our show notes. So you got to make sure that you head to bravenewteaching.com right now and check out the rest of them. We have linked them all so you can just fill up your Amazon cart and call it a day. And as my students would say, every single one's a banger. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I feel like we could have run this episode like TRL. We could have done Total Request Live. Oh my God, that's what we should do. That was back when I really liked Carson Daly. It, it, my feelings about him have changed. But you know what? I think I think this is going nowhere. So I just want no, to say okay. thanks for being here. You yes. all are amazing. Go to the show notes. Marie yeah. looks beautiful and purple. Just oh, so you thank you very it looks much. so good on you. Thank you so much. I showered and it makes such a difference. It's a big deal. I know. And I like blow dried my hair and then I put it up in a clip, but still like I'm clean. Okay. I did that yesterday and I curled my hair today and then it literally life giving. No, I think it looks nice. It's good. (sighs) It's windy. I like it. What are we going to do? Friends check out. We know we keep saying it, but we've got the resources for you on choice novel units in general. The other 10 in our list of 20 uh, are in our show notes. And then also just like other goodies, other ways that you can engage with us and, uh, Maybe take that masterclass that I was talking about, Downward Reading Quiz, if you haven't already done so. A lot of the things that we talk about as you start looking at some of the things that we link for you will make more sense. Like you'll hear the Easter eggs that we've hidden in our conversation without meaning to, just because you'll see what we're referencing and what we're talking about. But next week, we have a whole nother list of 20 of our favorite something. We're not going to tell you what it is yet, are we? Because I don't remember. I remember now. 
I know what it is, but I'm not going to tell you next week. Yes. <laughs> I just looked at my screen and now I remember. You got to be um, ready. But until then, we hope you have an amazing week ahead. We hope that you maybe pick up one of these from your school library and take it home. And if you've got some free time, you could jam through it in a weekend. Most of these. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Brave New Teaching. We'd love to keep the conversation going over on Instagram. And while you're there, check out the links in our bio for the most up-to-date events going on in the Brave New Teaching community. Thanks for being here and have a great week at school.